Hello and welcome to another episode of the Science of D&D podcast, a podcast where we investigate the world of Dungeons & Dragons using critical thought and scientific knowledge. I am Justin Frazee. And I'm Dr. Betsy Schock. And today we're going to be talking about how magic items are created. Yeah, and beyond that, how do you take a magic item and make it a cursed magic item? These are questions that we've been thinking about because we don't really get a ton of insights into this um, in the um, Dungeon Master's Guide. So we thought this would be a fun topic to really kind of just speculate on our own what could be going on um, with these items. So the Dungeon Master's Guide doesn't say a whole lot about how magic items are made, but I'll read what it has. Magic items are gleaned from the hordes of conquered monsters or discovered in long-lost vaults. Such items grant capabilities a character could rarely have otherwise, or they complement their owner's capabilities in wondrous ways. It goes on to say, Each magic item has rarity, common, uncommon, rare, very rare, or legendary. Common magic items, such as a potion of healing, are the most plentiful. Some legendary items, such as the apparatus of Qualish, are unique. The game assumes that the secrets of creating the most powerful items arose centuries ago and were then gradually lost as a result of wars, cataclysms, and mishaps. Even uncommon items can't be easily created. Thus, many magic items are well-preserved antiques. So the Dungeon Master's Guide also kind of gives us a breakdown um, for magic item rarity related to the value of that object. And I, while that's kind of a very specific detail, I do think it's kind of worth mentioning because I think this helps us to kind of like conceptualize in the world of D&D, like what the value of these items are. Um, and it also has like suggested character levels um, for like you could obviously ignore this and give a legendary item to a level one character, um, but it has some suggestions and guidelines based off that. So the first two common and uncommon character level suggest first or higher, but it goes all the way up to legendary, which is 17 and higher. And the value starts from 50, but goes all the way up to 50,000 plus. So a huge range of value. Yeah. And I guess thinking about that, like 50,000 plus value, We've in a campaign we're doing, we are making like um, castles, keeps, um, strongholds, strongholds. Yes, the sword. If uh, you're familiar with Matt Coville uh, and his supplement strongholds and followers, highly recommend. It. Um, but I think that actually really helps to put this into context. So I believe for like building, there's a lot of variation based on like how long you want it to take and the manpower and such. But something around along those lines is um, like eight to ten thousand gold pieces yeah. for building like a physical building, right? Um, for like a keep or something like that. So we are looking well and beyond that for a legendary item, um, and even a very rare item uh, falls within or even exceeds that range for building um, a monastery or a keep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So these. I mean, you think it, you can think of these in the context of like art pieces, right? You can buy a very rare piece of art for more than you could build an actual building for. Uh, but imagine if those pieces of art could actually do things instead of just look <laughs> look pretty. Yeah. So with the different rarities, like it, it kind of doesn't give us a ton of information to go off of. But for those legendary items, do you think the gods made them? 
Uh, some of them, I'm sure. Uh, we can check out some of them, and maybe we can find some things out. So most of the magic items don't really say how they were created. I think they're intentionally wrapped in mystery, or maybe left to the DM to decide. Uh, but maybe there's some clues here. So an example is Wave, which uh, is a legendary weapon that requires attunement by a creature that worships a god of the sea. It says, held in the dungeon of the White Plume Mountain, this trident is an exquisite weapon engraved with images of waves, shells, and sea creatures. Although you must worship a god of the sea to attune this weapon, Wave happily accepts new converts. That's kind of funny. Um, Whelm is another example, which is a legendary weapon, Warhammer. Uh, requires attunement by a dwarf, specifically. Whelm is a powerful warhammer forged by dwarves and lost in the dungeon of the White Plume Mountain. So that one is a legendary item, much like Wave, but unlike Wave, it says exactly that it was made by dwarves. Um, the other one doesn't say. Yeah, so that's useful to know. So we know that, I think from that, that perhaps some of the legendary items probably have roots or are tightly uh linked to some of the gods and i think even as we like read through some of the names of these items like the horn of valhalla that probably has links to some gods um there's one called the rod of lordly might i could see that also being related to a god <laughs> um or a holy avenger that feels very like paladin-esque um but then your the one with the whelm is a really great example it just seems like that's um excellent craftsmanship yeah, I mean, you would imagine that it's made by something very powerful. I mean, this doesn't, I feel like this, it's still possible this was made by a dwarven god. I feel like it doesn't uh, make that impossible. Um, it's just a little vague. Like, it's a sentient weapon, which, you know, sentience is not really something that most mortals could summon up. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. I mean, there is like conjuring spells and that, that, that sort of thing, but very powerful creators nonetheless. So one thing I was thinking about with magic items, um, whether they're common or they're legendary is, and I think the answer is kind of a mix um, because like potions I ex expect to be um, handcrafted from scratch to make that. But basically my question is for something like a ring or a rod, is this an ordinary object that has had magic imbued into it after its creation? Or is this an item that has been forged specifically with magic being used in its creation? Like, hopefully that distinction is clear. Yeah, uh, that is an interesting question. I would imagine at least the rarer an item gets, the more from scratch it would probably be. But, I mean, there's lots of examples of just, like, plus one, plus two armors or weapons that don't really have any description that you could imagine that was just, uh, you know, improved upon or blessed or that sort of thing. Um, but some some devices seem so specific. We talked about the uh, immovable rod before, and that seems like a feat of, like, magical engineering, at least in my mind, of just um, this very almost scientific very precise uh application that was crafted into this item yeah so that has me thinking about uh the newest D, D class the artificer 
Now, I think in the future, we're going to do a full episode on artificers because they're pretty cool and pretty interesting. But I think we can kind of, without hopefully stealing too much thunder from that episode, um, just look a little bit about what an artificer does um, and kind of gain some principles from that for these different objects. So um, artificers are finally another class that use intelligence as their spellcasting modifier. And these are basically like your inventors and tinkerers. Um, and they're pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I think you're excited to play around with that class in the future. Yes. Um, so one of the first features they get is called magical tinkering. Um, and it says you've learned how to invest a spark of magic into mundane objects. You use this ability or to use this ability, you must have thieves tools or artisans tools in hands. And you touch a tiny non-magical object as an action and give it one of the following magical properties, which I won't go into, but most of them are kind of basic with like light, sound, smell sort of thing, like prestidigitation-esque. So one thing I like about this is it tells you you have to have tools. Um, it leaves it pretty open-ended with thieves tools or artisans tools. Um, but somehow through those tools and through a spark of magic, you're able to imbue magic into an object. Yeah. Honestly, my idea of an artificer diverts a little bit from uh, the book where it's very magic-based in the book. In my mind, it's just like a very intelligent, uh, it could be a very intelligent uh, creature that just is inventing these things that have magic-like uh, operations, but not necessarily specifically magic. But uh, in any case, the outcome would be the same where it's like, you can, it's very engineering where like a wizard is like i mean they're they would have to have an understanding of like physics and alchemy and that sort of thing but in the end it's it's not so physically based you have you have material components and stuff but you aren't it's not an object that has an operation um and somehow that's cool to me <laughs> so one thing i was kind of thinking about with um using tools on objects specifically. Um, and we've talked about there being different um, elements, magical elements in the world. And so you can imagine that perhaps like these elements exist in these normal objects, but are not configured in a way to make them magical. Mm -hmm. Like, does if that makes sense? Yeah. And so perhaps like part of what making a magic, an item magical is, is basically like playing around with the way um, those different like particles are aligned in the object. Yeah, that's a really great analogy. Honestly, I'm, that makes me think of converting an iron bar into a magnet, right? It's this ordinary thing that has the elements, these particles in it. But if you treat it in a specific way, you know, running a magnet along it in a, in a certain way, you can arrange all the electrons to be spinning in the same direction. And now you have this almost magical device, which, you know, has this energy that, you know, it can pull things to it. It can pull itself to other things. It's kind of like magic. Yeah, I actually, I feel like there are like YouTube videos that are popping in my head now where like people are doing seemingly like very basic things and getting really cool effects i know that's really vague but i think you know what i'm talking about yeah i mean like for example like 
are pretty much every power plant is uh, using a magnet and copper wire. And like pretty much every power plant boils down to that boiling water, finding ways to heat up water to boil it so that the steam expands, turning a turbine, which is just a magnet and a copper, you know, surroundings that creates electricity that powers our world. And so it's these very mundane elements, water, steam, magnets, copper, that enable everything we do when it comes to electronics and everything like. So, yeah, you these very basic elements that you can use in hugely powerful ways. Um, building on that. So, again, I don't want to steal a lot of thunder from the artificers, but this is, I think, a concept we can build upon. Artificers use these things called infusions um, that you can apply to uh, weapons or armor, et cetera, and basically give them specific properties. Um, it can be very simple, such as like plus one or plus two attack on your weapon, but there are more complex ones as well. And so I think with related to like, how do you get a magic item? Um, we have possibly like you're tinkering maybe with these particles inside, but then the other option is you add something to it that I assume maybe is magical in itself that is able to like fuse with it um, to give it those magical properties. And I, I'm kind of curious what pops into your head when you hear the word like infusion in this context, because it doesn't give a description of like what this physically looks like. Um, so I, this is more of a curiosity than anything. I'm sure there's, it's intentionally vague to let people role play that how they will, but. Yeah, I think infusion is probably just the word they're using to like signify you're creating something, right? You're combining things. And so it's probably this broad range of things where, you know, you're combining these uh, pieces together in a new way that's creating a different result. And, you know, whether that's gluing something to something else or, you know, spending time in engineering and carving it out or, you know, assembling it in a specific way, could have any number of different uh different forms i kind of had to just envision it as like this magical limp liquid that you just like dump on it like <laughs> bam it's infused let's go or that was my job <laughs> don't we all so a couple possible ways of making magical items um if you were the the ones we've talked about are ways of like enhancing something that's already exist in existence mm -hmm. um what are your thoughts on like making something from scratch. I feel like there's like a very high level of both craftsmanship and magic knowledge required to do something like that. So I would expect this to be like high level wizards that are doing most of this work. Um yeah, that's what I would imagine. Um I I feel like you could have a different class um that could maybe make something but I don't know, when I think of engineering something, which I feel like creating an item uh, is doing, you really need like the the idea of research and stuff. And that's really what a wizard does is, you know, research and book knowledge and that sort of thing. I mean, we can look at examples of you know people out there that are craftsmen that don't study in a traditional way, but create um, very complex things. And they just... They've worked with things so much that it's kind of innate. And that's, you know, kind of like a sorcerer. Um, but like the more high end you get, the more you're going to need like recorded knowledge. And like you're not going to have 
someone that can you can learn to assemble a table and you know make your joints and ever come come together in a precise way without studying it but you're not going to create a particle accelerator without you know having some degree knowledge yes probably um so this is more food for thought and will be interesting this was not a prompted question so we'll see what he says so i know you're very interested in blacksmithing Mm -hmm. um if we were in the D &D world and i uh, basically asked you to make a magical sword of some sort forge it how would you basically like envision folding magic into the object that you're forging. Do you have any thoughts on that? I think it's an interesting question or at least thought experiment. Yeah. So what immediately immediately springs to mind is um, pattern welded steel, or as a lot of people um, know it as Damascus steel, where you take two different types of steel and you stack them together and then you forge those together um, and you fold it. And then at the end, you have this, these beautiful um, different steels that are very closely bound to each other, um, but they have slightly different properties. So you can etch them and one gets dark and the other one stays shiny. Where, well, like, uh, I mean, that's very basic. So it's not exactly that. But uh, <laughs> so you can you can have all these different like beautiful patterns. Um, you could like there's other things where you can have a different type of steel. Um, sandwiched in between other ones and that becomes like the edge of your blade which is harder and the other ones are softer so you have these different um structures that have different properties um that you can exploit um either for aesthetics or for practical uses so that's the first thing that comes to mind is like binding different elements together you know folding uh adamantium into steel or you know that sort of thing of like you can infuse uh, these different properties into the thing that you're making to create something better. Uh, but maybe you could take that a step further. Um, you couldn't actually do this in our world, but you could imagine doing something like forging a magnet into a sword. And now it's sticky when it comes to other blades, you can hold another blade with it. Now that wouldn't work because of lots of reasons. One thing is like when you heat uh, like steel, it loses its magnetism. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure if it cooled back down, um, it wouldn't be a magnet anymore. But you can imagine it being something like that, where you are taking different elements with different properties and you know forging it. And there's a lots of problems. Um, like you can't forge any type of material together. You couldn't you know weld. They couldn't forge weld like aluminum and steel together, or you know things like that because they have very different critical temperatures but if you could somehow magically uh bring materials together that um would otherwise not be able to be brought together in in mundane ways then you could have uh different properties and then maybe that's kind of where my mind is going is like if you could in like forge weld aluminum and tungsten together then suddenly you have this thing that can be very light in some areas and very hard in other areas. And like, that's not something that a normal person could do, but now it's just basically this magical item because you've, you've brought these elements together that you normally couldn't. That's really interesting. So that kind of 
I think leads in well to what we were planning on talking about next, which is cursed items. How do you take a normal magic item and make it cursed? You know, fun stuff, I guess. I think because of its innate nature, we need to talk about like, there's a lot of magic items that have basically spells built into them. I think that's a little different than, I think that's a little different than say something like a immovable rod, which you could imagine like we talked about before, having some sort of holding effect. It's it's not like it's casting a fireball. It's not casting a, a, a spell. So how can something hold a spell? And because that's where my mind goes with a, a curse item, is that there is you know, something in there that's having an effect like a spell. So it's basically casting a spell. So how could something cast a spell-like effect? Good question. So I guess when I think of objects that contain spells, often these have like charges um, that there's so many that you can expend. Sometimes the charges come back. Sometimes it's you go through them and you're done and the item loses its uh, magicalness. So I could see like perhaps like a wizard learning of ways to like encapsulate their spells. Um, so basically like storing all the raw materials needed to do that spell in a magic object. And so when you're using the object, you're just effectively like releasing something that has been um, all the pieces that have are there and it's just assembling them in a way to cast a spell. So like a battery, but instead of just an electrical charge, it's more than that. Like you could, I mean, you could theoretically do something that's pretty similar to a battery for electrical spells, um, but maybe there's other battery-like things that hold other sort of elemental charges. Yeah, or I think like another analogy could be like a heat pack. So like all the stuff is there to make it hot, but you actually have to kind of like crack, crack it. it and let the elements mix in order to produce the effect. Mm -hmm. um, now, when it comes to like how things recharge, I I don't really know other than like whoever made it must have somehow invented a mechanism for um, that. Maybe it's somehow like um, able to pull particles that it needs from the surrounding uh, and basically like encapsulate them separately. Um, and so you can see how that might take some time to recharge that it's able to do that. Or there's some sort of elements uh, inside of it. Like if we look at something like, you know, radioactive materials like uranium or whatever, they are constantly giving off elements. But it's not in a dramatic fact, a dramatic fashion like you would need in, an, you know, a nuclear bomb or nuclear power plant. Um, it just slowly and steadily gives off particles, which you could... Imagine something like that, you know, it gives off particles and you kind of collect those, but it's kind of a, in a steady, slow way. And so it like holds those and charges up. At least that's what I imagine. I could see that. I guess if I know that yours is just an analogy, but that eventually would have a limit to it because like radio, like particles have half lives. Uh, so just basically how long is that material going to be around? Yeah, but. I mean, like even a mundane example like uranium has a half-life of very long very time. Long, yes. So like you're you're not going to really have that problem. Uh, you know, maybe that's an interesting idea of a setting, you know, a very 
far future setting of D&D where like all the magic items have expired. A ring is just a ring. Yeah. Put it on with no fear. I, I guess that's what we live in now. <laughs> all the magic items are gone. It just rings now. Okay. So now that we've established that, back to curses. So we actually kind of had a hard time um, finding cursed items. It was something we wanted to talk about, but it's not organized um, or like laid out in a way that's easy to find in um, the DM's guide. Yeah, so there's exactly five examples in the Dungeon Master's guide. Um, and it's just mixed in with the rest of the items. So they were kind of hard to find because it's just a little word in there that says curse and it, it explains the curse. So it, I struggled. <laughs> but the examples that are in there are Armor of Vulnerability, Berserker Axe, Demon Armor, Shield of Missile Attraction, Sword of Vengeance. So you can probably notice that most of these are similar to other items in there with a twist. So Armor of Vulnerability instead of Invulnerability, uh, Shield of Missile Attraction. Um, I assume I there's was... one like Sword or Shield of Missile Avoidance. I don't know. Actually, I don't know about that one. But it's these, they just have little twists to them. So according to the Dun Dungeon Master's Guide, most methods of identifying items, including the Identify spell, fail to reveal such a curse, although lore might hint at it. A curse should be a surprise to the item's user when the curse's effect are revealed. When the curse's effects are revealed. Attunement to a curse item can't be ended voluntarily unless the curse is broken first, such as with a remove curse spell. So that lays out two things. One, you pretty much don't know that the item is cursed until it's too late. Yeah, till you're attuned to it. And two, you have to use a remove curse spell to even unattune to it. So it's basically stuck to you. And I, I've, I've been thinking about this as we've talked about this subject. There's two ways of thinking about this. One, it's physically stuck to you. You can't remove it. Uh, two, you don't want to remove it. And there's a, a lot of these examples kind of hint at that where it says you don't want to want to leave this. So, for example, the Berserker Axe. As long as you remain cursed, you are unwilling to part with the axe, keeping it within reach at all times. So that's not necessarily that it's stuck to you. It almost is like you're charmed. Yeah, or like an unhealthy obsession with it. Mm -hmm. So you said that. Initially, what I was thinking with the other, other idea is that it's stuck to you. I can imagine the one ring from Lord of the Rings as like it's changing its size. It does that a lot to like escape its user. It could change its size in a way that like it you can't, couldn't physically get it off. But it also has the effect that you don't want to get rid of it. I don't, it's never used in the way that I believe that like you couldn't physically get it off, but you can imagine it can change its size. So that, that's not unreasonable. Do you think cursed objects are sentient? So there's no examples of like sentient items have their own specific uh, section in the DMG. I don't think there was any one, one of those that were sentient. Um, but I, I think there's, I mean, there's, um, I guess I'm wondering, like with a curse, are you like inherently like, um, is a remnant of the cursor staying with the cursed object, um, in a sense that it, maybe it's not sentient, but it kind of behaves that way. Basically like they're leaving some of their like aether behind might be an idea. Yeah. So there, there's artifact examples, which 
are not labeled as cursed, but they have lots of properties that are basically curses um, to the user. So I would say there's probably both. Um, probably some of them are sentient or semi-sentient, um, and some of them have some other property that uh, makes it so you can't get rid of them or don't want to. I'm going to lean more towards the don't want to. A lot of these things are things that you can put down or that sort of thing. Um, or take off, like your armor. Yeah. So there's some level of persuasion that these items are having over you. So in terms of how to curse an object, again, we're, we're not really given much. So this is us kind of speculating. But I, I did find an example of another. Um, this is an artifact. Um, in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything um, that is cursed. It's actually cursed by Tasha. And it gives a little bit of an origin story to the object itself and then how it became cursed and what that curse means for it. So I, I think that's actually kind of like a useful example to walk through and maybe just kind of pull some stuff out from that and speculate. So this um, artifact is a wondrous item called the Crook of Rao. Um, it says, ages ago, the serene god Rao created a tool to shield his fledgling faithful against the evils of the lower planes. Yet as eons pass, mortals developed their own method of dealing with existential threats, and the crook was largely forgotten. In recent ages, though, the crook of Rao was rediscovered and leveraged against the rising power of the witch queen Igwil, aka Tasha. And although she was defeated, Tasha managed to damage the crook during battle, infecting it with an insidious curse and the potential for future victory. In the aftermath, the crook was lost again. Occasionally it reappears, but the famed artifact is not what it was. Whether or not the artifact's bearer realizes its full threat, few risk using the crook of Rao potentially for the final time. So this is kind of cool because it tells us that she seems like physically damaged it and they use the word infected it during battle. I was actually, before you read this, going to ask the question, why would you curse something? And this almost seems like a self-defense thing that now there's a reason not to use it against her. Or like, it almost feels like the last laugh, right? Mm -hmm. You're like, you may have gotten me, but like in the end, it's your own demise. So um, the curse that she left on this thing. Um, I'm not going to go into like all the specifics of what the uh, this Crook of Rao does, but one of its big things is uh, spellcasting a bunch of like good light spells, kind of think Paladin-esque sort of thing. Um, but then it also does banishment. Um, and more or less, you can spend 10 minutes and banish any uh, fiend with a challenge rating of 19 or less within a one-mile radius. So powerful stuff. Um, but the curse that Tasha left on this, um, was, um, over the years, the curse has spread within the crook, threatening to violently pervert its ancient magic. If this occurs, the crook of Rao, as it's currently known, is destroyed, its magical matrix inverting and exploding into a 50 foot diameter portal. Portal functions as a permanent gate spell cast by Tasha, um, and then basically over initiative, you start summoning back these fiends that you banished. And this summoning occurs for 18 years, you know, <laughs> just a normal amount of time. 
um, at the end of which the portal becomes a permanent portal to Pazuni, the first layer of the abyss. So there's that. <laughs> um, so it seems like somehow with cursing, it spreads over time. That's interesting. And it um, has a spell trapped in it that's also like very specific. So it seems like with this curse, Tasha has trapped a spell within it and the curse itself seems to spread throughout the object or like corrupt the magic in the object over time, which is interesting. Um, kind of as I was thinking about this a little bit, it kind of reminded me or like got me thinking maybe like curses are kind of like horcruxes where like as part of the curse, you're like putting a part of your soul inside of it and that like leads to possible like sentience. That's kind of out there, but I'm just going <laughs> to throw it out there. Yeah, that could be part of it. I It still draws me back to the question of, for example, armor of vulnerability, I think is a plus one armor and gives you resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, or slashing, uh, depending on what the DM decides. And then you are vulnerable to the other two types. So you take half damage for one of them and double damage for the others. But who would go through the trouble of making that and why? Or is that when just a corruption of the armor of invulnerability? Basically, like someone went in and like tinkered with the magic inside to make it work differently. Yeah, that sounds. Because it seems like positive. the framework is already there yeah. with that one. Now, obviously, not all the other magical items have a counterpart. Mm -hmm. Um so yeah, it could be a corruption. I'm also thinking that perhaps someone, you know, in some distant history used it as a way to trick someone. So you give them this armor and send them off the war and they get, they get killed because suddenly they're vulnerable to this damage. You know, something like that. Uh, so perhaps. They have a pretty severe definition of trick. Then. <laughs> <laughs> trick them till they're dead. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's just a prank. Um, with the Berserker Axe, um, what was the curse associated with that one specifically? I think I glanced at it, it was pretty much you attack friend or foe. You have to make a DC 15 wisdom saving throw or go berserk. And when you go berserk, you attack whatever creature is nearest to you. And if you have the ability to take multiple attacks in a turn, you have to do that. Hmm. That one's like interesting because the other ones feel like curses on the object itself, but this one feels like somehow the object kind of flips it and does something to you because it's not the object that is itself attack attacking a friend or a foe. It's like you are doing that, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of interesting. I don't know if that like makes sense what I'm trying to say, but no, yeah, that makes sense where. Like the armor of vulnerability is something inherently something with the armor, but this one is it's having a direct effect on you. Uh, so there must be some sort of charm or command yeah. or yeah, enchantment spell as part of this item. I wonder if you could store like essentially a charm spell in a curse item that affects the holder. Um but I guess I don't know how you would do that in a way that's like precise. Like usually if you're charming someone, they're subject to like 
how you're trying to bend their will versus like the axe is an inanimate object. So it's not the axe's will, unless somehow, like I said, you're like leaving a bit of your soul behind. Um, and that is imbued in the axe, which is kind of controlling you. Yeah, I I suppose it could be, I mean, you could imagine it being almost like an IV uh, drip where it's like pumping you full of all these chemicals that are influencing your brain, or it's like injecting you with adrenaline and then suppressing like fight or flight and uh, like maybe some sort of hallucinogenic uh, effects, like that sort of thing, like some sort of drug cocktail that is causing you to just, you know, go into a cocaine rage. That's my first guess. Okay. I mean, you, you, you could imagine like in the real world, injecting somebody with some sort of chemical concoction that would have not as fantastic results, but some sort of like crazy thing that they just, I mean, like there's some drugs out there that have some pretty wild things where people just, Jump out windows. Yeah, I was going to say, that was like the Wormwood series we watched on uh, Netflix. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, I mean, that was based on the experiments with LSD that the CIA was doing. Um, But they jumped out a window, so. Well, I think in the end, the show postulated that he was thrown out a window, but that they were saying that he jumped out. Um, In any case, um, he he died and... um, yeah, like you can find videos and stuff online where like people take a drug and then they like purposefully just like like freak out. Not not purposely. They they freak out and then like they jump out a window, like not knowing what's going on, like a second story window. And it's just, um, you know, you can really mess with someone's brain, uh, and not with a a living entity with just chemicals. So, so it seems kind of from these couple different curse items that we've talked about that they're very unique. Each one kind of has its own flavor, which may be tied back to the cursor of the item um, and what their intention was, which it, which is kind of cool. So maybe that suggests like there's not one way to curse an item. Mm-hmm. You you need a knowledge of magic that that that's given, um, but maybe maybe it differs. So like I can imagine with the armor of vulnerability, that was maybe like an artificer tinkering around um, for whatever purpose kind of thing versus other ones seem to have maybe more malicious intent with them, um, such as Tasha's curse. And perhaps we were talking about kind of spell batteries. You know, Maybe some of these items are found objects that then someone started storing like basically curses in there. And like with the intent to, you know, harm someone. There's the um, regular magic item, the rod of absorption. And that basically like um, prevents someone from casting a spell and then absorbs those spell levels into the rod, Um, which I wonder with that, like what would happen if you like put a curse into the rod of absorption? Yeah. Would that like, yeah, corrupt the rod? And like any subsequent spell that you would like cast from it is now corrupted. I don't know. Interesting thought. Well, if you know of other magic items that are curse out there, or other magic items that you really like, send them in to our email address, which is scienceofdd at gmail.com. And as always, thanks for listening.